Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of The Yard. Yeah, that's right. Coming to you from um, somewhere outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee, from parts unknown, right? Uh, great time so far with the wife, and I tell you what, we missed a great night at Duty Noble Field last night. We're going to break that down. And uh, had a big day yesterday, but we're able to uh, kind of keep up with the ball game as things unfolded. And, and like many of you, I was uh, pretty disappointed about halfway through. But I kept telling uh, Dana, I said, you know, plenty of ball game left, plenty of ball game left. And the next thing you know, Slate Offord comes up with a big hit. You start thinking, maybe we can pull this thing off. Maybe. And then ultimately we do. And uh, send everybody home happy last night. I, most everybody. You know, there's some people that are going to be, you know, salty and sour no matter what you do, what you, what you say. It's interesting to me. It really is. I'm going to talk about that later in the show. It's interesting to me. It really is. I, I just want to make sure that you guys know what brand of Bulldog I am. I pull for Mississippi State to win every single time in every single sport. Period. Will never, under any circumstances, ever pull against Mississippi State. Ever. Ever. Even if it's something that furthers my own agenda or my own narrative. Because that's one of the things that happens. People get so incredibly invested in being right. They forget about what matters most. We're all here to support Mississippi State sports. Period. And if you are cheering against our student-athletes, just so you can be right, you're a problem. You absolutely are a problem. And maybe I'm the only one with the guts to tell you, but you're a problem. All right, let's get ready to move forward here. Let's thank our friends at Bulldog Burger Company. I got to get in there early next week and have that Mississippi barbecue burger. I, I love it. I do. I, I, I'm, an, I'm an addict. I'm addicted. I've been thinking about it out here. I haven't even wanted to go get a hamburger. It's because I know I'm going to save up to go to Bulldog Burger Company. Pretty exciting place, really is. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive in Star Vegas, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo, Lake Harbor Drive in the Ridge and Flowood area. Go by, have the spring rolls as your appetizer. Matter of fact, I was out here and I saw some imposters. Went to eat at a place, won't take the place. They had uh, the Philly spring rolls on their menu, and I said, there's no way they're going to be anywhere close, and these, these might make me worse looking, so I don't want to take a chance of getting the spring rolls. I get my spring rolls at one place. One place. That's Bulldog Burger Company. Get that chocolate shake to go. You'll be glad you did. You can ride that ride home with a smile. And listen, if, you, if you're not in the mood for a hamburger, and more times than not, I am, you know, sometimes I want to eat fresh. So I get that BLT salad. You may prefer it fried. I like it grilled. I do. You know, just trying to cut down on the carbs best I can, when I can. But uh, I get it with ranch. You may like it with the house dressing. A lot of alternatives for you. At Bulldog Burger Company. Go by and check them out today. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right. Let's break down this ball game. We're going to talk about the game. I got a great top 10 list for you. And uh, pro- probably one of the top 10 lists. I've probably been, I don't know if I've been this fired up about a top 10 list all year, to be quite honest with you. When we talk about 80s metal and things like that, I, that, that excites me, but I feel like I'm more educating than entertaining. But uh, today... You know, I went and saw a killer show last night, and uh, we're going to get to that. Something special is happening with this band, and I, w- I want to share that with you. As, as an old concert goer, you know, from the 1900s, you know, when, when we could have real concerts in the, uh, 
in the in the Jackson Coliseum, right? I, I, I've seen all the cool bands, but something is special. It's happening with this band, and I want to I'm going to share that with you when we get to the top ten list. But uh, let's break down our win, <clears throat> and then later in the show we're going to talk about what it all means and kind of what needs to happen now. The bottom line is we got to win the night to make last night mean even more, right? You lose tonight, it's over. All right, um, so let's get into this. And those of you that were there, you got to see a very entertaining ball game. All right, so we start with Colby Holcomb on the mound, and Colby off to a pretty good start, but uh, just struggled, appeared to me, in, in what I was able to see in, in between bands, watching shows, is um, the release point was off. You know, and that's the thing, too. You know, mechanically, especially when you got a bigger guy like that, there's so many moving parts. It's difficult at times to have the repeatable delivery. And that's where I think a great pitching coach can make all the difference in a guy like Colby Holcomb. And he's shown some real flashes this year, uh, especially in middle relief. There are times he's come out there and just absolutely laid the hammer down. And then other times, not so much. And the last couple of outings have been very much up and down. You saw some of that last night, a ton of walks. You know, we, we actually kept A&M in this ballgame, right? And that's been a story all year. It's like, man, if we could just get decent pitching, we don't have to be great, be good. We just get decent pitching. Guys, not only are we in the tournament, we're probably in the discussion to potentially host. That's not to say that's the only problem we got. It's the biggest one we got. And, you know, the right pitching coach, I think, could make a big difference for us. All right, let's get into this ballgame. All right, the very first hitter of the game, Haas. Shouldn't he be Haas? I mean, honestly. I mean, if, if, he's, if we're talking the Aggies of College Station, Texas, shouldn't it be Haas? Nevertheless, uh, we, get, we actually get ahead in this count 1-2 and end up walking him, which is kind of the story for the night for Colby, unfortunately. You get a line out to right field, right center, and, man, hadn't Kellum Clark been good for us defensively this year? I mean, Kellum's never going to be like a plus defender. But he makes the plays he's supposed to make, and sometimes he makes plays you don't expect him to make. That's probably, it's, in this season, of course, it's been a disappointment. That's probably one of the things this year that, that has probably lost in the discussion is, you know, just a couple of years ago, we threw Kellum Clark out there and said, okay, go figure it out. And now all of a sudden, you know, anytime the ball is hit to right field, I expect there to be an out. So his development as a defender, again, he's not a plus defender. But he is a guy that gets out there and competes and uses athleticism to make some plays for us. But um, So there you go, first out. Uh, Warner then strikes out swinging, and then Lavalette strikes out swinging. And But those were both extended at-bats. Ig- the pitch count's already running up here. And so you can kind of see, you know, against a and a team that they have a great eye there. I don't know what their offensive approach is, but they, they have the tendency to walk more than anybody in this conference. But we're able to get to them here. They just weren't able to lay off. That's some of their breaking stuff. So we give up the leadoff walk, and we get out of it. You know, you go one, two, three here, and um, kind of get ready to move forward here. And you think, okay, maybe he'll settle down. All right, bottom of one, State goes one, two, three. Mershon grounds out to third, and extended it back there too. And you got Detmer up there. And listen, Detmer is not a bona fide Friday night guy, but that guy's a competitor. He's probably a Saturday guy throwing on Friday just based on team need. So, you know, I see Mershon go out there. You talk about an emerging star for us. When you see what's happened, and I go back to something Lamona said 
He said, as a staff, they knew if they ever put him on the field, you weren't going to be able to take him off. And then, uh, you know, once he went in place of Lane Forsythe at shortstop, it, it has been a much different dynamic for the Bulldogs. It has been. And even though Marshawn gets out here, you, you want your leadoff guy to go up there and look at pitches and see what he's got and come back to the dugout and share with the hitting staff and everything else, kind of what he's got. So, Marshawn, even though it's a ground out here, it's a productive at bat. Led better than grounds out to second on a 2-0 count. And that's what Detmer does, guys. And, and obvious fastball counts. Detmer is able to get some sink, get under barrels, and have you beat the ball on the ground. That's what he does. That's why he's been successful. And then Hunter Hines strikes out swinging. Hunter's in a bit of a funk right now. Got to get him going here this weekend. We, we're going we're gonna to need him. They got a lot of left-handers. That hadn't always been the best for Hunter. Uh, we got to get him going, though. Uh, top of second. We go right back out there, and all of a sudden it appears that Holcomb has really calmed down a little bit here. You have the elongated bat with Thompson, but you get a punch out there. You get a, you get ahead of 2 and next thing you know, it, it's a lengthy bat. It ends up being 2-2, but, you know, once it's being a nine-pitch bat, we get him to strike out. Then Minich grounds out to short, and then Boss strikes out swinging. And that was, a, you know, that's a four-pitch bat right there. So all of a sudden you think, okay, we're settling in, right? We're settling in here. And the last two outs of the second inning, very efficient. And the name of the game, and this is one of the things that I think a lot of people don't fully appreciate, it's not striking out. It's pitch efficiency. If you want to work deeper in ball games, you got to pitch to contact, get off contact, and get off the field. I mean, you know, that, that first pitch ground ball to short means more to you than that uh, nine-pitch strikeout. It really does. I know it's fun, but if we're talking about what's better for a team and a weekend, it's to have guys go deeper in ball games. That's got to be a change in our philosophy. That's just my personal opinion. All right, bottom of second. Uh, Dakota Jordan walks here. And again, leadoff walks. Leadoff walks are the devil. They are. They're not as, I mean, they're not as bad as two out walks, but they're tough. Uh, so Dakota Jordan walks here. And then Kellum Clark singles up the middle. And then they DJ's going, right? And they try to throw it to third. And I don't know what happened at third base. It was a pretty, pretty bad effort there by the third baseman. The ball gets away, and the next thing you know, um, we take off for home. And it's a wonder Kellen Clark didn't come, you know, all around to score himself, as crazy as it all was. Uh, but nevertheless, it's a one nothing ball game now. Slate offered, then uh, taps back to the pitcher, and then he throws out um, Kellen Clark, who's trying to go to third there. Um, you got to kind of see that one through, right? You do. I mean, you're in second base here. You got a runner in scoring position with nobody out. A little bit too aggressive there. Uh, so that they get the lead runner there, and then Hancock grounds into a double play. You know, again, let the lefty lefty thing, right? Um, Luke's had a few moments now and again, but uh, here as of late, so he's been rolling over to baseball. All right, one nothing Mississippi State after two. All right, top of third. Uh, we talked about Target earlier in the week. I mean, you know, he was a guy they expected to have a big year. He had a big night last night. He had not had a big year, but he had a big night last night. A double to right field to kind of get things going. And then Coffer walks. And then Hoss, we're going to call him Hoss. He walks. Now all of a sudden the bases are loaded here. So you give up the leadoff double. That's part of baseball. And then you compound the problem with back-to-back walks. The first one, a four-pitch walk. Bases loaded. You think, okay, they're, they're going to score here, right? All right, they get a sack fly here to make it a tie ball game. Warner then grounds out the first unassisted. And um, 
and a run scores. So, you know, runs already in there. But uh, you know, so now all of a sudden it's basically a bunt situation here. So that works out. Then Lavalette is walked to load the bases, and uh, we get Thompson to strike out swinging. I don't know what we saw, right? I don't know what we saw. We're just kind of sitting a match up there, but uh, we intentionally walk a guy. I don't know. We, we've done that a whole lot. We did it some last week against LSU. We did it some uh, last night against A&M. But clearly we saw something in the matchup with Thompson that we liked and were able to get a strikeout. So you navigate through that as bad as it was. It's only a tie ball game. So, again, you pitch yourself into trouble, you're able to get out of it. All right, bottom of third, Amani Larry doubles right back up the middle. And just like A&M, you get a runner in a scoring position, nobody out, you should score here. And we do. Heifel then uh, sack bunt, gets Larry to third. We're playing for one. My philosophy many times, especially if I get a guy in scoring position, I'm playing for one every inning. Uh, Marshawn and singles up the middle, and uh, Larry scores. So Marshawn coming through again. Yeah, which is what he's doing. That's what he does. Then he's still second. Ledbetter has walked on four pitches. And then uh, Hunter Hines singles to the pitcher. And uh, bases are loaded here with one out. You got Dakota Jordan and Kellum Clark up, and you're thinking, we've got a chance to get some separation in this ballgame right here and now. Got Detmer on the ropes. All of a sudden, we can't get the ball to the infield. Uh Dakota Jordan hits it on the screws, but it's a line out to first, and then Clark flies out to left, left center. So that, that's two guys right there that we, we depend on to be run producers for us. They don't come through here. Again, you have Detmer on the ropes, you know, ball in the gap here. You've really got him in trouble. And the thing about it is, too, it's funny how life works. Both of us had to use some big arms. If you get the big separation here, and you continue to tack on, they don't They don't end up using their, their premium relief arms. They, they don't. It's funny how life works. All right, top of four. State is a, a 2-1 lead here. Should be more. All right, you walk Minich, and then you walk Bost. And then Targak hits a home run. And that's how, that's how life is, man. I mean, you go out there and you keep issuing free passes. At some point, it comes back to get you. I mean, you keep playing in the street. At some point, you're going to get run over. And we did. Three-run shot here in a game that we had a chance to break open in the third. Now, all of a sudden, we're down two. 4-2. Coffer walks. Hoss fouls out to right field. And uh, that's it. That's it for Holcomb. We go get him. Bring in Tyler Davis, who was outstanding last weekend against OSU. And it appears that he left that with in Baton Rouge. Uh, Coffer still second. Moss is walk. Warner then singles to the shortstop. Bases loaded here. And then we walk Lavalette to uh, – Forcing a run, make it 5-2, and that's it. We go get KC. And as Lamontis talks about all the time, and it's not like that, you know, he's not the Aristotle of baseball. You got to get somebody to get you a hold. You got to get somebody to keep the game in place, and that's what KC does for you here. KC was outstanding. All right, Thompson reaches on a fielder's choice. Run scores, it's 6-2, and then we get managed to strike out looking. And what a big strikeout that was. It's a 6-2 ball game, and you're thinking, you know what, man, we were just one pitch away from being in command of this ball game, and now we're down four runs. All right, bottom of four, uh, Sweater offered strikes out swinging, Hancock then doubles down the line. Like to see Luke taking the ball the other way when he can. And uh, Larry then grounds out to short, Hancock goes to third, but then Heifel can't get it done. Uh, we fly out down the right field line. So, again, a runner in scoring position, with less than two outs, we aren't able to get them home. It's not always going to happen, but that's how the game is played. 
You get them on, you get them over, you get them out. It's, that's baseball. All right, top of five. A&M tacks on again here. Uh, Boss walks. Target walks. And this right now you're thinking, you know what? KC just doesn't have it tonight. He gets caught for the strikeout swinging. Hoss uh, reaches on the fielder's choice, and uh, we force the runner at second. Now there's runners on the corners. And then Haas goes to second, and Boss scores on a pass ball. It is now 7-2. And at this point, Twitter is on fire. The headliners taking the stage out here in Chattanooga at the Signal, and uh, I'm keeping up with you guys. It's just absolutely – at this point, I'm, I'm sure my wife has scored. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad we're here instead of there because I don't want to have to sit there and watch us lose the way we're about to lose. I mean, I, I, I'm a negative guy at times. You, would, you wouldn't believe it. Um, I just don't share it on social media the way many of you do. But um, when it's just me and her sometimes, I'm just, I get frustrated. I'm like, it's 7-2. I said, you know what? Here's, there's still plenty of ball game left. Let's just kind of see what happens. Let's just see what happens. Because I felt like if we could get in that bullpen, maybe we could make some hay. Well, we get a big hit coming up here in the bottom of five. Uh, Mershon flies out to the shortstop down the left field line, and then Ledbetter flies out to center field. So two outs in the inning, you think, okay, well, this is, this is how it's going to go. We're going to go quietly. But no, Hunter Hines, an elongated at bat here, gets ahead in the count 2-1, and then milks it and milks it and fouls the ball off and fouls the ball off, takes one down, fouls it off. The ultimate walk, what a great at bat to extend the inning, right? It would have been very easy for Hunter Hines to just take himself a swing here, right? It's frustrating as the last maybe, you know, he had a good game on Sunday against LSU, but he, he didn't, he, he hadn't had a home run in a while, right? And it would have been easy to say, you know what, man, this thing is over. This game is over. This season is over. I'm, I'm just going to go up here and see if I can't hit one to, to Texas. But instead, he stays within himself, takes a quality at bat, and what do you know, it sparks a rally. DJ then singles to right field. They go get Ashen back in place for Detmer. Kellum Clark. Again, wouldn't have been very easy for Kellum to say, you know what, I'm going to go up here and just try to untie my shoes and see if I can't hit one to West Point. But instead, he works account, works account, works account. Next thing you know, the bases are loaded. And now all of a sudden, there's a little joy at Duty Noble Field. Everybody's thinking, you know what, if we could just get a hit here, and we do. Slate Offord comes in and doubles the opposite way. They just kind of inside out at him there. It wasn't like, I don't think the point of contact was what he intended. But he ends up doubling down the right field line. Everybody's shaded more towards center. That ball gets down the right field line. All three runs come in to score. It's now a 7-5 ball game. And then, they, of course, they got to go back and review to see if we missed third base. We didn't. We did not. I don't blame Schloss for taking a chance there, but we didn't. All right, Hancock then strikes out looking. But it's now it's a new ball game. Now, all of a sudden, being down five, we're down two. There's plenty of ball game left. All of a sudden, my mood here in Chattanooga got a lot better. All right, top of six. This is when I thought Casey began to kind of show some moxie here. Uh, we get Warner to strike out looking. Lavalette walks. and it, you know, We're sitting there watching on the phone. To me, it looked like an unintentional, intentional walk. Then he's still second. Thompson singles to center field. And all of a sudden, you got runners on the corners. And rather than just fold here, Casey's like, nah, I got it. Thompson ends up taking seconds. you got two runners in scoring position with less than two outs. And neither score. Because we get minutes to strike out swinging and boss to strike out looking. They didn't even get a productive out here. That's a great job by KC. And in many respects, I thought really the turning point in the ballgame from a pitching standpoint. 
because we needed a clean inning, right? I mean, that's what happens when you start, you know, chipping into the lead. You got to be able to get a hold for them, and we do. We do. All right, bottom of six. Amani Larry, the very first pitch that he sees, he launches into left field for a home run. It's now seven to six. You're thinking, you know what? We're going to win this game. As crazy as this thing is going, we're going to win this game. Uh, Ross flies out the center. Marshawn walks again. I mean, the kid is just an on-base percentage machine. I mean, it is. I mean, it just defies logic. The fact that this kid is playing well beyond his years. He is. We, this, we got to keep this kid. Whatever we got to do, we got to keep him. Uh, Ledbetter singles to left, which sends Mershon to third. Hines flies out to right, but guess what? It's a sack fly. And he nearly hit that ball of the yard. Uh, it's a tie ball game. Jordan strikes out looking um, on three pitches. And so it's 7-7 now with three innings to play. And you think we're okay. And then KC gives up the home run to Targak. Again, he hadn't done it much this year, but he had a big ball game against State last night. And all of a sudden it's 8-7. to seven. And there's some guys in my group text were like, that's it, KC just blew the game. And I'm here thinking, guys, it's one run. Let's just kind of hang in here. And one of my other guys in the group text, I won't identify these people, so I'd rather give up a solo home run than go out there and walk the ballpark, and that's me too. Go out there and challenge hitters, and sometimes they're going to get you. Kofer walks, then Haas flies out to left. Moss doubles to left center, which since Crawford a third. And the fact that we're able to get that ball back in and hold them proved to be very significant later. Uh, Warner flies out to center and uh, short center field, so not able to advance the runner. We intensely walk Lavalette again, and then Thompson again, we get him to ground out. There's just something about that matchup we seem to favor. 8-7 is your score midway through the seventh. Uh, they bring in Garcia in place of Ashenbach. They're, they're trying to get this thing finished up. And I don't blame them. Uh, Kellen Clark with an infield single to the left side, and then Alford strikes out swinging, and then, and then Luke rolls into a double play. And you start thinking, we only have nine outs to work with, and we use two of them on one play here. At the moment, it seemed like a really big deal. It did. All right, top of eight, minute singles up the middle, and then Boss flies out to right. Targak strikes out swinging. We finally get him out. In the middle of all that, minutes takes second, and then Coffer strikes out looking. And so pretty good inning here uh, for KC. Again, getting the hold. Bottom of eight, they plunk Amani Larry on an 0-2 count. See, it doesn't just happen to us. Heifel then gets the sack bun down. And how many teams out there have a catcher as athletic as ours? They could also get a bun down. He can hit for power and get a bun. Give me – there we go. All right. Uh, they actually uh, – close, close play at first. Ross nearly beats this thing out. We end up getting reviewed, and uh, we, we'd lose our challenge. But uh, nevertheless, the run now, the tying run, uh, is the second base with less than two outs. Then Marchand walks again. Ledbetter singles, uh, infield single here, and the bases are juiced. You're thinking, here it is. Here's the moment. Just give me a routine fly ball to right, and this thing is uh, tied. You know, worst case scenario, give me a double in the gap, and you know, we got a lead. And then Hunter Hines grounds into a double play. And again, that's the AM philosophy. We're going to go out there and pitch to contact. We're not going to walk a bunch of people. We're not going to go up there and give a bunch of home runs. We're going to go up there and pitch lower in the zone, and we're going to make you beat the ball on the ground. And that's what happened. So we're down one going to the ninth. Nate comes in for us, and uh, I thought Nate was really good. Really good. Concert's over at this point. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to will this team to victory, right? <laughs> you know how it is. You're like, let's just find a way to win. Let's just find a way to win. Haas 
flies out to right. Moss singles to the left side. The next thing you know, Werner walks. Lavalette strikes out looking. It was a big, big out because we get down 3-0 in the count and come back and strike him out. And then Thompson, we get ahead 0-2. He ends up getting 2-2, and we, and we plunk him. It's like, here we go. Here we go. No. But, in, but instead, Nate put his foot in the ground and said, no, we're done. We're, we're done with this. And he gets minutes to strike out swinging. I just thought that slider uh, to Thompson just kind of ran in there. I mean, it's just one of those things that happens. And I, I, I thought, you know, based on what I saw, I thought Nate's stuff looked good. I thought it took him, uh, you know, took him a couple of hitters to get warmed up. I, th- I thought he got squeezed a little bit with Warner. But nevertheless, uh, we get out of that. We navigate through that without surrendering a run. We're down one, and we gives our team a chance here in the bottom of the ninth inning. And so, bullpen, holding it together. Give Casey, Nate, a lot of credit. So, we get to the ninth, and, um, you know, the thing that I've always said, you know, this A&M team is not great. They're a good team. They're an older team. They did some things here in the ninth inning, though, that um, losing teams do, and ultimately they lost. So the very first thing is you walk D.J. Jordan on four pitches. All right, this is a kid that's got great speed. Anything in the gap, he's got a chance to score, right? Uh, Got great speed. Hadn't especially been uh, prolific as a base dealer, but he's capable of doing that. Clark ends up flying out to center field. And I thought this was a very interesting Interesting decision here. We pull Slate, who had had a couple of at-bats that were a little bit dicey, shall we say. And you bring in Bryce Chance. Bryce Chance gets down in his count 1-2, fouls the ball off, takes the ball low, takes the ball up, fouls the ball off. The next thing you know, he's on base. So now all of a sudden, yes, it sets up the double play, which was already in order, but you've got a runner in scoring position. They lift Garcia, bring in Johnson. Luke hits that high chopper to first. Not hit hard enough to turn two. And now there's two runners in scoring position. So the winning and tying and the tying and game winning runs are on base and in scoring position. But there are two outs. And then what do you know? They gift us the run. They do. The wild pitch. And it the it caroms so far back. I mean the catcher overthrows the pitcher. You know, the discretion's the better part of Valor. And uh, had he played by the third baseman to be there, Bryce Chance would have scored, and we'd have scored two on a wild pitch. I, I like the way it worked out better. They throw that slider again to Amani, and that thing is nearly a wild pitch. They come back with a 3-1 fastball, and Amani turns it and hits it deep into the Starkville night. And the Bulldogs walk it off 10-8. to There are a couple things that I want to say Bulldog fans, rodeo season is here. That's right, the Dixie National Rodeo. Get ready to roll, man. And uh, I remember being a kid, that was like the biggest highlight for us. My grandmother would get us tickets every year, and me and my brother would wear our cowboy outfits. We'd put our boots on, have our chaps, our vest, and we'd go up there, and just in case one of the cowboys got a little bit scared to get on a horse or a bull, we were willing to do it. Yeah, for sure. Guys, Boots aren't just for going out to a country western bar and doing a little boot scooting. Maybe you got a little Texas two-step in your game. Tacovas can make you look better than ever. Absolutely. And here's the deal, too. That's the thing, the versatility of Tacovas. 
is you can wear them somewhere nice or you can live life where you don't go gently. That's what Tecovis does for you. Yeah, it's a rugged, handsome boot. It's my favorite boot brand, and it should be yours too. Be sure and check them out. Tecovis believes in Western for all people, and you can feel that when you go into their stores, when you walk in, you'll be greeted like family, offered a boot shine and a drink, and maybe even an adult beverage if you prefer, and you can get custom fitted for a new pair of Tecovis boots. You can get custom leather stamping or branding, whatever you need to make it feel somewhat individual. Look up your closest store at tecovis.com. But if you can't make it to a store, Tecovis delivers the most premium quality and most comfortable Western goods right to your door. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And you know what, partner? Point your toes west. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. About this, before we get into the numbers here. When we played Arkansas, that Saturday game is one of the worst games I have ever seen a Mississippi State team play. And that includes some of those games we got 10-run ruled in an embarrassing fashion. We did not look engaged. We did not look like we wanted to play baseball. We did not look like we wanted to be there. And I began to ask myself, you know, maybe some of these people are right. Maybe, maybe the team has quit. It is evident after what we have seen the last 9 to 10 days that this team had not quit. They're playing hard for each other. They're playing hard for you, playing hard for their coach. And they pulled one out of the fire last night with three in the ninth. It's interesting, too. You know, we talked about how we kind of felt like the game was over. We're down 7-2 in the fifth. And it's just like it was at LSU last weekend. The second half of the ball game, we were the team doing the scoring. After A&M gets that 7-2 lead, guys, we outscore them 8-2 the rest of the way. They only scored one run after the fifth inning. It's tough to win that way. It is. All right, looking inside the numbers here. Uh, Hunter Haas, our favorite player, 0 for 4. Uh, Dave Marchand, 1 for 3 with an RBI, a couple walks there. So he gets on base uh, three times in the ballgame. Colton Ledbetter, 2 for 4. Kind of a quiet 2 for 4, but uh, it's kind of advancing the lineup. Hunter Hines, 1 for 3 with one RBI on the sack fly. Uh, Dakota Jordan, 1 for 3, but also had two walks and scored every time he got on base. Callum Clark, 2 for 4 on the night. Uh, also had a walk. He's on base three times. Slate offered one for four with three RBI, of course, of that big double. A couple punch outs there. Uh, Luke Hancock, one for five on the night. Amani Larry, your, your hero, your diamond dog hero. Three for four. Three runs scored, three RBI. Uh, Ross, 0 for two, but had a couple of big sack bunts there. Look at the pitching numbers here you know, for State. Uh, Holcomb, three and a third, two hits, five runs, all of them earned, seven walks, five strikeouts. That, that, that just oh, that drives me crazy. Tyler Davis comes in, doesn't retire a hitter, gives up a hit, walks two, and, and rather than sit there and let us get beat on, we pull him. Casey finds some magic in perhaps his last appearance ever at Duty Noble Field. Four and two-thirds of an inning, four hits, two runs, one of them earned, Five walks, That's and a couple of those were intentional, but uh, eight strikeouts. Uh, he was good. And then Nate, 
credited with the win. One inning pitch allows a hit and a walk and uh, has a couple strikeouts. Then, and of course, the strikeout there to give us the uh, to give us the dugout in the ninth was huge. So again, Nate credited with the win there. And uh, you know, we'll see what happens the rest of the day today. But uh, when I look at these uh, pitching numbers for A and M. Guys, they threw their best guys yesterday. That's not to say they can't come back. They can. I mean, I don't think anybody threw enough to really prevent themselves from returning, unless it's maybe Brandon Garcia. Nate Detmer goes 82 pitches. Uh, Evan Ashback, uh, 31. Brandon Garcia goes 46. And Will Johnson, uh, 9. But here's the deal. I mean, the season's on the line. A&M is not in a tournament. They're not. They're not in. And they may not be in. So it's going to be all hands on deck for everybody. You know, like as Lamona says, we're playing for something. They're playing for something. You know, the reality of it is, is that um, there is no tomorrow. There's not. There is no tomorrow. You got to go win the day. And uh, we have our best starter on the mound today. So, yeah, I like our chances. And that was the thing. It's like if we can find a way to win on Thursday, we should win this series. But winning this series is not going to be enough. We, I think we have to sweep the series to give ourselves any any possibility of getting to Hoover. Yes, and mathematically, there's always an issue there. I mean, there's there's always a chance. But you go sweep the series, and I think you need, if either LSU or Auburn can get a sweep for you, then all of a sudden you're in. Right? That's the important aspect of this, right? I mean, I, I hate that we're in the position that we're in. But rather than point fingers and cry and everything else, I just want to keep playing. Because, like, you want to keep hope alive because you never know what could happen in Hoover. Do I expect to win a tournament? No, I don't. But I also know this. I know some of those teams up there are ready to get out of the tournament, get home and get their legs back under them and get their pitching ready. You never know. You never know. But I know this. You can't win Hoover if you're not in Hoover. And so let's just try to get there. Let's see what happens. Let's just see if we can't go win a couple more ball games and get some help. And we did get some help last night a little bit. It will help last night. Let's go win today's ball game today, and we'll reassess the situation tomorrow. We'll set some of that up a little bit later in the show. All right, time for today's top ten list. Brought to you, as always, by CloseWithBlair.com. That's C-L-O-S-E with Blair. B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is a mortgage professional. There are a lot of people in the mortgage business. Blair is a mortgage professional. 22 years of experience, back-to-back-to-back. Top 1% close ratio in the country. Not just in... It's Aquina County, not just in Sharkey, not just in Pisgah, in the country. You got a real one when you got Blair Chandler. Go visit him today at his website, closetoblair.com. If you're looking to uh, refinance or in many respects, people are just looking to get into a mortgage. A lot of people out there said, you know what, Steve, I didn't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to buy a home and be able to have this for my children. And you can get off the, uh, the renting hamster wheel by employing Blair Chandler. Give him a call or text today at 601-500-2344. Again, that's 601-500-2344. And here's the deal, too. The summertime is when things get hot in a real estate mortgage business. It does. And so it's best to go ahead and... Blair can get you pre-qualified, let you know, hey, what's what we're looking for? And maybe you want to move into a different school district. Maybe job, your job is uh, requiring you to, to make a move, or maybe you just want to be closer. Maybe you want to be closer to your friends, your family, whatever. Deal with a guy like Blair Chandler that can get you the best deal possible. Again, that's close at Blair.com. Okay. 
I cannot count how many bands that I have seen play live. I, I, I can't. I, I used to, but you know, when you factor in all these festivals and these times that I go and and, and watch people, and it's just uh, it's too many to list. It is. But I was part of something last night that I I think was really special. Um, I wasn't prepared to be quite honest with you. Uh, went to the show at the Signal. I'd never been to the Signal before. And you guys that live up here in this neck of the woods and you're able to frequent that venue, that it's a cool little place. It is. I mean, I say a little place. It's not really a little place. Um, it's just kind of an it's, – it's a huge club, basically. And uh, they clear the floor. And uh, we were a little bit later coming in. We went and ate at uh, Nick and Norman's, which is uh, Norman Reedus's place. You know, Norman from uh, – Daryl from – the Walking Dead. We are Walking Dead fans, so we had, saw an opportunity to go uh, eat and support them, and it was good. It was good. It was good. It wasn't, wasn't great. It was good. Um, but that's right down the street from the Signal, and so we went to the Signal, and we're a little bit later getting there, and uh, they told me a thousand people came in in the first hour. Like once doors open, they counted a thousand people, and I don't know what that place holds, but it was at capacity. It was packed. Every show on this tour for the band Bad Omens is sold out. Every single show. And I was thinking, okay, well, this has got to be, they're playing small clubs. They're not playing small clubs. They're not playing arenas, but they're playing big venues. Every show was sold out. And so when we began to plan our anniversary trip, I was just kind of see, is there a show up there I can go see? Well, Bad Omens is playing at a signal. I've always wanted to go to signal. I've always wanted to see Bad Omens. And I paid about three times face value for the ticket. And it was well worth it. And it's difficult to really describe. And I don't want to oversell this either. But uh, I've been a Bad Omens fan, I guess, since the first album. And there are three albums in now. But uh, when I started hearing, uh, you know, one of the songs is going to be on our top ten list on uh, Sirius XM Octane, I was like, hey, these guys have got a little something. Then the second album comes out. Finding God Before God Finds Me, and I'm blown away. And then they did an, un, an acoustic, kind of an unplugged EP about some of the songs on that album, and uh, you really get to hear Noah's vocal range, and I'm like, this, this, this band has something. And then their new album comes out, you know, The Death of Peace of Mind, and uh, it's launched them into a different stratosphere. And uh, they have a song that made our top 10 list that has become really popular on TikTok. And they referenced that last night when they played it. Said, yeah, here comes the TikTok song. You never know what's going to work. And you never know. Nowadays, we're also glued to our phones. What becomes good marketing? And this just kind of organically happened. And it was amazing last night because people from all generations were there. And singing along the songs that I barely knew. And I thought... You know, I know all the hits, and I know a couple deep tracks here and there. Guys, it was like a chorus. Every single song, going back to the first album, and it's like it's like everybody's favorite songs got played. And there's something different about this band. I can't really put my finger on it. I mean, of course, you know, it helps that you can sing and write songs, right? That kind of goes without saying. But they've got this industrial feel but they also have the melodic feel. And there are so many people out there like Amity Affliction and others that uh, 
are doing something quite like that. I don't know that anybody's doing it better than Bad Omens. And so if you're looking for a new band to get into, if you like modern rock, let me go ahead and tell you, uh, this isn't two and three chord progressions. This isn't twos and fours. This is a much different deal. Uh, it's very much modern rock. And uh, with an incredible singer, an incredible songwriter, writing about some things that are very relatable to people. So that your top ten today is the band Bad Omens. And it's almost impossible to get merch for them. I'm, it's almost impossible. I, start, I should have got some last night because, you know, I like to support bands I go see. The line was wrapped around the building, around the concourse. And then uh, it's gotten to be such a big deal with this TikTok thing is that is they have to announce when they're going to have a merch drop because as soon as it goes live, it's gone. Again, there's something happening with this band. It's really unlike anything that I've seen in a long time. All right, number 10, from the album, The Death of Peace of Mind. It's a song called The Gray, and uh, I didn't think they'd play it last night. They pretty much, they, they nearly played the new, the new album in its entirety, but the song The Gray is one that I really dig a lot, and uh, I was surprised it made, made the playlist, but, uh, or the set list, but uh, I think you'll dig that one. It kind of, again, a lot of guitar with this one. Number nine, one that's got a really deep bass line, and... Um, it's a little more on the industrial side, and you can hear maybe a little bit of R&B at times, but it's a song called Bad Decisions. And uh, it's, you know, our protagonist is a person that um, basically is kind of sees himself as an island. And it talks a little bit about that. He goes, you know, no God, no religion, just bad, bad decisions. You know, and uh, there's a lot of that going around these days. But that's one, when the very first time I listened to the album in its entirety, that's one that kind of stood out to me. And, of course, they play it last night. It's become a, a fan favorite. All right, Glass Houses. That's going back a little bit. Uh, Glass Houses, a, uh, a song from the, from the first album, the self-titled album, uh, Bad Omens. That is the lead track on the very first album. And uh, one that I think that uh, will probably remain in the set list for a while. The way that the crowd responded to that, uh, I liked the song. And then to find out that so many other people did, I was like, well, this is pretty cool here. Okay, number seven. Uh, Care for what you wish for. This is off of uh, Finding God Before God Finds Me. Now, the acoustic version of this, you can find that too. Both those are available on Spotify and uh, Apple Music. The reimagined version kind of changes the tone of the song to me. I think it. I think it sounds more earnest in many respects. Number six, the first big hit for Bad Omens goes all the way back to sixteen, and the first the self-titled album. It's the worst in me. Uh, this is what really, I would say, this kind of pulled me in, kind of introduced me to the band. But I, I didn't really become a raving fan until the second album. But this is one I'm like. It's pretty good. All right, number five, the first single on uh, The Death of Peace of Mind is a song, uh, Like a Villain. I think lyrically it's one of the best things Noah has constructed. It's, it's one of those songs, too, just kind of gets you going, right? I mean, you, you, like, you, you put it on, you turn the radio up, and you're like, yeah, this is a little bit different. All right, number four, the song they call the TikTok song. My wife will be disappointed that this is so low on the list, but that's okay. And uh, basically, it's about uh, you know, it's about the end of a relationship or whatever. And um, 
you know, you're having a tough time getting over this person. And um, that's what it's about. Just pretend. You know, it's like, I'll, like basically, I'm just going to pretend that I'm okay. You know, I'll, I'll wait for you at the bottom. You know, there's a lot to it. There is a, there's a desperation in the song that I think a lot of people at some point we all feel. We always try to act like we're all so tough and, you know, nothing really bothers us. And what, what a terrible way to go through life, to be emotionally unavailable and unaffected by life. Um, but that's kind of what this song is about. It's like, I'm, I'm going to just try to be that person. I'm just trying to be tough and not have to, but I'll just pretend. So it's very profound, and uh, it has really resonated with the younger generation. And when they played it last night, uh, you could barely hear the, hear the band. Incredible. All right, number three, we're going to go, I, asked, I put this acoustic because I want Roy to use the acoustic version of this song. Even though the uh, electric version rocks, it's the song Never Know. But I think because I want you guys to kind of get the full palette, right? Never Know from the EP you know, the acoustic EP of uh, Finding God Before God Finds Me, the song Never Know is amazing. And basically, it's one of these situations where it's like you're you're in this tenuous relationship and there, there's this happening and this happened, but I want you to know that I'm okay to never know. Like, I'm, I'm, I want you to know that I, I don't need to pursue this to be happy in life. I, if, if we would have made it or if we hadn't made it, I'm okay with never finding out. That's kind of what the song's about. All right, number two, and uh, probably the highlight of the show last night. And uh, my wife and I both really look forward to, to hearing them play this live because sonically it is just on a different level than most of what you hear on modern rock radio. It is a title track, The Death of Peace of Mind. And uh, basically the song is about it. And it's so, it's so profound in many respects. It talks about how love is the death of peace of mind. And a lot of that too is because, you know, when you're just on your own, you don't have anybody to worry about. You don't have to think about anybody's cheating on me or somebody trying to steal my, my significant other away from me. Or, and, and all of a sudden you have to worry about that person when they travel and things like that. And, but to me, there's nothing better than being in love. But I also understand that aspect of it in the beginning. You know, when you're just kind of you know, single and solitary to yourself, all you have to do is worry about yourself. However, when you're entangled with somebody else, all of a sudden your life becomes entangled with theirs. And so all of a sudden, instead of you just being nervous and anxious about your own life, you're nervous about theirs. Number one, though, and this is the song that made me a super fan of Bad Omens. And it's what I've always wanted to go see them play live, and uh, they've never come to Mississippi. And um, But based on what's happening with this band, we, we have to find a way to get these guys to Mississippi. And they're going to be touring again this fall, and I'm going I'm to try to get out and go watch them, see, and watch them again. But... Um, the song Limits, and we've had that on the top ten before. To me, that is my favorite Bad Omen song. And I love the chorus. But if you're throwing me to the lions, you should know I'm, I'm not scared of dying. And uh, I think everything about that song is just kind of in-your-face defiance. It's like, you, you want to come after me? Okay, fine. You need to understand who you're dealing with and what you're dealing with. It's, uh, it's anthemic to me, and uh, I, get, I get chills sometimes when I put that song on, like the hair on the back of my neck. Well, I don't have a lot of hair on my arms, but, but you understand my point. There are some songs that just resonate within our spirit. This is one of those ones for me. It just is. It's one of those songs that I, it will probably be on like my life's playlist, because from the very beginning, when I first heard this song, I was like, wow, I've been waiting for this. Where's this been? So check them out. If, again, if you like modern rock music and you need to understand that this is not Aerosmith okay I love Aerosmith I love this stuff too 
But Bad Omens right now might be the best thing going as far as like up and coming bands. There's so many bands. You know, Sleep Token's got a new album out. I love what Sleep Theory's doing. But something about this Bad Omens thing, every show is sold out. You can go see for yourself. Every show is sold out. All the merch sold out. And you go to the show and everybody's rocking Bad Omens merchandise and sing along to every single song. I mean, how many times do you go to a show and they introduce new music and, and everybody's just kind of sitting there staring at their shoes? Last night was a celebration, man. It's a celebration of life. It was incredible. I was so glad that I could be there. If you have ideas for the top 10 list, reach out and let us know. You can find me on all forms of social media at Scout Steve R. And of course, Roy putting these great lists together for us on Spotify. His Twitter handle and Spotify handle are the same. It's Dogmatic, D-A-W-G-M-A-T-I-C-6-7. Dogmatic67 on Twitter and Spotify. Reach out and let us know. We'd be happy to do it. But I'm telling you now, if you like modern rock, you're going to love Bad Omens if you don't already. All right, next segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmark, a Starkvillian institution. If you're looking for Mississippi State merch, and chances are you are, visit Campus Bookmark. Go by and see them next time you come to town. They're open year-round. It's not just in, in uh, football and baseball season, right? But on game day, that's your place to stop and shop for Mississippi State merch. If you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net, courtesy of Al Gore's Internet. And uh, you will be able to uh, peruse their fine selection of Mississippi State merchandise. You know, a lot of places don't have a lot of stuff up online. They do a great job of updating the website uh, I'd encourage you to follow them on social media too. There's always things that pop up. I'm thinking, oh, I gotta have that. I gotta have that. And so I go get it. I buy all of my Mississippi State merchandise from Campus Bookmart. Campusbookmart.net, promo code BSR. That's just exclusively for Boneyard listeners. That gets you free shipping on all orders over 75 bones. BSR, of course. Beautiful Steve Robertson, right? That that's a reminder for you. Easy, easy for you to remember that. Campus Bookmart. .net, promo code BSR. All right, let's look around the league. A lot going on here, for sure. A lot. A lot going on. All right, so let's look at the scores from last night's games. And we did have um, you know, Auburn and Missouri. That got postponed to a doubleheader today. Uh, we need a good result there. We do. We need some margin for error. We've put ourselves in a very difficult situation here. Got to find a way to get some... Uh, some help around the league. We don't control our own destiny. Uh, as mentioned, Missouri and Auburn, that gets pushed back. That's good. They're going to get started today at 2 o'clock. So be sure and uh, kind of keep an eye on that, too, as you go about your day. Every series in the league started. Tennessee, South Carolina also postponed due to weather. That really doesn't impact us. I just don't think South Carolina can climb high enough to be a tiebreaker for us, and hopefully we won't need a tiebreaker. Uh, LSU and Georgia goes 12 innings, and uh, Paul Skeens, not invincible, right? Not invincible. Pretty crazy game here, too. Uh, if you guys kept up last night, I mean, you know, we we really, if we could sweep A&M and LSU could sweep Georgia, well, we're in. Well, we got what we needed last night, a win for Mississippi State and then a loss for Georgia. But again, it's a it, LSU jumps out to a two nothing lead, and then in the fifth they get the skeins a little bit and tie the ball game. And then in the eighth, LSU takes the lead. You think, okay, we're good here. Okay, we're good. But you know that LSU bullpen is leaky to say the least. Four to two, Georgia scratches out a run in the eighth. LSU gets it back. Uh, 
So bottom of the ninth, it's a 5-3 ball game. Georgia hits a couple of solo tanks. Absolutely insanity. They tie the ball game, and I'm thinking, this is where it ends. This is it. We've scratched and clawed and put ourselves in a position here, and Georgia is going to ruin it for us. And they nearly do. LSU nearly blows this thing. I'm pulling it up right now just to make sure I have the details correct for you here. So in the bottom of the ninth, Marillo homers to lead off to pull Georgia within one. LaPlante grounds out to short. Uh, Spikes flies out to center. So two outs. And then Anderson homers to right field to tie the ball game. Uh, you go to the 10th. Nothing doing for either team. You get in the 11th. And uh, LSU with a chance here. Uh, Joe Bear is hit by the pitch. They pinch run for him. And you get a sack bunt down. So now you've got to go ahead run. And then uh, uh, Napolt walks. They pinch hit him for Gavin Dugai, which I, I still don't understand. They walk Trey Morgan on four pitches. You think, here it is. And then Dylan Cruz strikes out looking. And then Tommy Tanks grounds out. So a golden opportunity wasted. And that's kind of what happened last weekend against us. They kind of go all in to win it right here and there, make all these substitutions, and then uh, three and four hitters can't come through for them. Bottom 11, um, nothing. One, two, three for Georgia. And then in the 12th, LSU gets to them. Hayden Trevinsky doubles to center field and then goes to third on a wild pitch to go ahead and run 90 feet away with nobody out. And then Pearson, rather than just hit the sack fly, hits a two-run shot. Uh, they make a change here and then bring in, bring in uh, uh, their own Pearson for Marsh, and then he gives up a home run to Jordan Thompson. And then LSU able to get him one, two, three uh, there in the bottom of 12. So State needed that. We get that. We're now a game behind Georgia in the standings. Uh, Florida takes care of Kentucky 10-3. to three. Alabama beats Ole Miss. Four to one, Ole Miss now assured of being the last place team in the league, a year removed from winning the national championship. We've been there. We can commiserate. We won't, but we can. Arkansas, eight two winners over Vanderbilt. Arkansas now uh, in really good position now to win the SEC championship. And matter of fact, they can clinch at least a share of the uh, SEC regular season title uh, with a win today. And that's in Nashville, Arkansas out there. Again, I, I had this discussion. You know, when we went to uh, to Clyde's third, uh, Wednesday night, had an Arkansas fan stop me and uh, take a picture and talk a little bit about uh, college baseball. Because uh, he said he can't believe Dave Van Horn hadn't won one yet. They may win it this year. Is anybody playing better than Arkansas right now? And they're, and, and they're getting healthy? That's the thing you look at. They've had all kinds of injuries on the mound, and I think Dave Van Horn might be your coach of the year, to be quite honest with you. Maybe. I think that's how it's going to work out. All right, so let's take a look at the standings now, kind of see where, where things look, where things stand, with two games left to play in the regular season. All right, Florida now has um, has clinched the East. They're 19-9 in the conference. Vanderbilt now 17-11, two games back. And, of course, uh, you know, Florida now in good position. South Carolina 15-11. And, and uh, you know, South Carolina, of course, a, a half-game difference because of that LSU series. They didn't play the game three. But um, Florida, a team that uh, I picked to be second in the East this year, 
is going to win the East. Kentucky 15 and 13 now, uh, assured of a at least a 500 record, which is a step forward for them. If they can find a way to get one, be in a much better situation. Uh, Tennessee 14 and 13, Missouri now 10 and 17, and uh, they'll play two today. Georgia 10 and 18, still some games to be played for sure. Uh, Arkansas 20 and 8, as we mentioned, again one win away from clinching at least a share of the SEC championship. LSU 18 and 9. And again, a half game behind uh, in, because of the uh, that game with South Carolina. But it doesn't look like LSU's going to catch them. Auburn, 14 and 13. Alabama, 14 and 14 now. A lot of people wondering if Jason Jackson should be the new coach at Alabama. Ever since Bohannon's been fired, Jason Jackson's got this team playing exceptionally well. Texas A&M now 12 and 16. And again, they're not in the tournament. I, I, they may be able to get in with 12 wins. I, I, don't, I just don't know. Mississippi State, 9 and 19. Ole Miss now 6-22. Can you imagine how unmotivated that team's got to be to play a baseball game today? You're on the road. Your season is over. You know once the weekend concludes, you're not going to play. You're going to be getting ready to go for your pre-draft workouts. And there's some discussion that Ole Miss might actually lose every single position player in their starting lineup. As bad as our situation is, theirs is worse. Certainly. And, and to, to compound matters at Ole Miss, a lot of discussion, too, about, you know, some of their donors are like, I'm not going to give any more money to the NIL for baseball. It's not going to do it. Not going to do it because I don't want to support Mike Bianco. The last year was a fluke. I don't believe that it was. I mean, granted, at some point you thought Mike Bianco at Ole Miss would win one. Last year may be the improbable thing. You know, you last team in a tournament. But uh, it's difficult to, to expect to go out there and have a meaningful portal class when people aren't willing to fund it. All right, so what needs to happen? All right, Mississippi State, 9-19. and Basically, you're, again, you're chasing Georgia and Missouri. And uh, if you could get Auburn to win a couple today and State could win today, all of a sudden you have caught Missouri. LSU wins today. All of a sudden there is a three-way tie with one game left to play. That's the best-case scenario for State. If, if somehow we sweep and then – Auburn and LSU both sweep, State is in. And not only is State in this, in the tournament, they're in as the 11 rather than the 12 because one of Missouri or Georgia will take the 12. That's, that's pretty significant too, right? I don't know what the tiebreaker – I don't remember who won between Georgia and Missouri. I guess Missouri won that series. Yeah, Missouri swept that series. So Georgia can't win a tiebreaker with Missouri, and I don't know that we can either. So we just need to take care of business and and continue to get some help. So today is, in many respects, the day. This is moving day when it comes to Mississippi State. And uh, we got to go win a ballgame. We go win a game, you keep hope alive for at least another day. But if you're able to sweep and then get at least one of these sweeps from LSU or or Auburn, you're in. It's it's that simple. It's a little more difficult than – Maybe perhaps uh, I'm making it out to be. You know, LSU has to go on the road and finish that sweep of Georgia that has an outstanding pitching staff, and uh, they're trying to figure it out too. And you begin to ask yourself at Georgia, I mean, you know, how many years are you going to stick with Scott Strickland? They do a great job 
developing pitchers, but they haven't done a great job formulating an offense more times than not. So two games left to play for Mississippi State, and we were a game out of uh, Hoover. It sounds pretty simple. It really does, because it is. We've complicated matters because we hadn't played well much of the year. But it all boils down to this. We win these two. Georgia loses these two. We're in. We win these two. Missouri loses these three. We're in. I just don't see a tiebreaker situation based on how things look right now uh, of us getting in if we end up in a tie. So we got to go do our part, uh, win these couple ball games. And again, people are like, can we make the field? No, we can't make the tournament. Unless we go to Hoover and win the tournament, you know, I guess one could make an argument that, uh, you know, State may have a chance if you could make it to the finals. But I think, I think most people would agree as poor as this season has gone, the only chance we have is to win out this weekend, get to Hoover, and then win in Hoover. And I just don't see that happening. At this point, that's all we're hoping for is just trying to find a way to make it to Hoover and salvage something of the season that has been uh, fairly abysmal at some points. But for those of you that are duty double field today, I encourage you to get out and uh, go support these young men. And uh, what's interesting to me, too, there's so, there's so much of that, too, that um, sometimes we lose sight of the fact that, uh, you know, these are our neighbor's kids, you know. These are our friends and their children. And uh, they're not children anymore, obviously. They're young men. But it's not just a game. You say it's a game. You go look at the video of Amani Larry leaping around the bases last night after walking that thing off. You can't sit here and tell me these guys don't care. All right, so to look at today's schedule, uh, Missouri will be at Auburn. Game one is set for 2 p.m. Central. Tennessee, South Carolina, game one, also at 2 p.m. Ole Miss and Alabama will get started at 2 p.m. At 5 p.m. this evening, LSU will play Georgia. That's one, again, we're pulling for the Tigers, which feels weird, but we are. 5.30 p.m. Central, Florida and Kentucky. We'd like to see Kentucky take a game there. Really would. Uh, Tennessee, of course, game two will, will follow around six. Tennessee, South Carolina, Mississippi State, and uh, Texas A&M, 6 p.m. And then Missouri at Auburn, game two, uh, also set for around 6 p.m. And then Ole Miss and Alabama will try to play a doubleheader today and uh, finish up. Uh, 6 p.m. And then Arkansas Vanderbilt, the primetime on the SEC Network, that's at 7 p.m. So that's your schedule for the day. Uh, and, again, every game matters. They don't always impact us. You know, we could have got a couple things to go a little different way last night, perhaps uh, change the tiebreaker situation a little bit. But it's basically down to this. You know, it's basically, I mean, honestly, as honest as I can say this, we win these two against A&M and LSU wins those two against Georgia, it doesn't matter what else happens around the league. It doesn't matter. Of course, if Auburn can get all three at their place against Missouri, a team that's 1-11 on the SEC road, that helps us too. But that's what it's boiled down to. It's simple as that. The fact that we're in this situation is, is disgusting. It is. There's no way you can sit here and say, well, you know, I feel good about things. Um, you know, we, it is what it is. 
but I want to keep playing. Some of you don't. I don't understand that. We're like, we're just going to go to Hoover and go 0-2. You know what? At least we'll have made it, right? At least we would have made it. And that's not readjusting our standards. That's just kind of apprising a, a situation for what it is and trying to find a way to f- make something positive come from that. But I don't know that anybody can, at this point, can say that they feel the same way they did against Arkansas when we looked like we were disinterested in playing baseball. And you look at these two big comebacks we've had in back-to-back games, those of you that say the team has quit, you don't have much evidence to support that line of thinking. All right, final segment of the show brought to you by our friends at Portico. If you're thinking of moving to Starkville, Portico is the way to go. Very easy to get to, turn off 82 on 12 like going to campus. You know that route well. Take that very first right. You've always wondered where that road went, but it leads home. You get to that four-way stop, Portico is right there on the right-hand side. Easy, easy, easy to get to. 1.1 miles away from the Mississippi State campus. Neatly tucked away in a neighborhood, right? Close enough for convenience and far enough away to have a little privacy. A little solitude there. Great place to live. Whether it be your primary residence, your retirement home, your second home, they've got a plan for you, they've got a place for you, reach out to our friend Brooks Bryan at 601-416-8075. Again, that's 601-416-8075. Brooks, a guy that knows a thing or two about playing baseball at Mississippi State, comes to all football games. He's, anytime there's an event, Brooks makes it his business to be here. And so he understands the needs and the desires of Mississippi State fans. We want to be close to campus. We want to have an, a great place to live. So reach out to Brooks and maybe make that a reality for you. You can start with a two-bedroom, two-bath home, go all the way up to a four-bedroom, four-bath home, and really anything in between. You need a custom build that can accommodate that. Right? Make Portico your next move. Okay. All right. So let's uh, let's be honest with each other here for a couple minutes in the, in the time that we have left because I'm going to get done with this and upload the show and uh, go get something to eat. Today's going to be a chill day for us. And then uh, going to go take in the uh, Ruby Falls deal. Yeah. yeah, excited about that. And uh, tomorrow we're going whitewater rafting. Yeah, how about that? Your good friend and host out here living life. Okay, but uh, today's a baseball day for us. But uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about this Chris Simona situation. And uh, I'll tell you what I know and uh, what I've been told kind of throughout this process. And so, as you guys know, way back, you know, we, we get swept by Kentucky, which was terrible. I remember that Friday night, I'm thinking, okay, we get, we get a win here Friday night, and we could find a way to get a win on Saturday or Sunday. We can get a sneaky SEC road dub right out of the gate. And then we get beat on a walk-off wild pitch. And, and there was more to it than that. We had many opportunities to execute in that ballgame. We didn't, Right. And then the rest of the weekend, it's a tailspin. Then Vanderbilt comes in absolutely red hot, and they absolutely murder us. And it's, oh, we're 0-6. And you start all of a sudden, we start making these deals and bargaining with ourselves and thinking, okay, well, if we can do this and we can do that, and maybe Kentucky's better than we anticipated, and Vanderbilt maybe the best team in the conference. Turns out they're not, but they're still outstanding. And there are a lot of people like, hey, I can't go through this again. Yeah, Steve, I can't do it. I mean, it impacts our business, right? I mean, you know, we got skin in the game too. But I began to, you know, put some feelers out then, you know, to people that I trust. It's like, if this happens, if we have a repeat of last year, what are we going to do? Are we going to make a coaching change? 
you begin to do the research, and again, I've, I've done it. I think I'm the first person to ever do it. But um, there's never been a coach fired two years removed from an AFL championship. You know, and um, in the middle of the year, a lot of people are like, you know what? I don't even care about that. Let's just get it done. Because we're prisoners of the moment, right? But let's be honest with that. At Mississippi State, we, don't, we, we talk about, we don't rebuild at Mississippi State. We reload, right? That, that's always kind of been our mantra. We're just not a program that has these peaks and valleys. And there have been some times, obviously, we've had some difficult years at times. But what we have endured the last two years is, is foreign to us. And you look around and say, well, you know, would LSU do that? Would Arkansas do that? I don't know what they would do. I don't know what they would do, but I know what we're doing. And you have to consider, too, you know, it's it's not just as simple as, okay, it's not like, you know, you work at a bank and you go fire a teller. You know, you work at a convenience store and you go fire a clerk. You work in a warehouse and you go fire, you know, a forklift operator, right? I mean, it's not that simple. There are a lot of things involved with contracts. There are buyouts, and not just the staff that you're, you know, looking to push out. You got to go buy out the contracts of the guys you want to bring in. And it's interesting. There are so many people, and there's one guy in particular on Gene's page that uh, makes this point all the time. It's like there are so many people that don't like baseball and don't want us to spend more money on baseball, want us to go write a check for about $10 million. You can say, Steve, there's no way. Well, yes, yes way. Yes way, Ted. Yes. Because when you start buying out these contracts and buying out the next contracts and you begin to think about what it's going to take to bring those people in, the amount of investments you're going to have to make, yes, yes. That's about the number we're talking. And that's on the, on the northern end of it, obviously. That's the more aggressive end of it. It's a complicated deal. You know, it's like we think about our own jobs. Well, if, you know, if I, don't get the, I don't get the results done, they're going to fire me. That's true. That's right. The difference is you don't get a golden parachute to leave. That's a huge part of things. I think you also have to factor in the fact, too, it's like, hey, you know, listen, we finally won an AFL championship. We reached the end of a talent cycle. And part of the problem we had last year, you know, we had the injuries, yes. But we also had some guys that were role players that were kind of thrust into a leadership role that they weren't comfortable with and they didn't respond well. And I'm not speaking negatively about anybody. It's just the reality of the situation. We needed some guys to carry the load that weren't capable of doing it. We had a couple of guys that got draftitis. Especially when you know, Landon goes down and Stone goes down and it's like, you know, oh, I got to get mine, right? And if you don't think that was prevalent at times last year, you're kidding yourself. It wasn't just injuries. And you can say, yeah, but Steve, a good coach. Yeah. Guys, come on. People who say that have never even played about the Little League level. Let's just be honest about that, right? There's only so much you can do. There is. Now, good leadership makes a difference. It does in every aspect because you need leaders to kind of reinforce the vision of the coaching staff. They have to buy in. It's so interesting. People are like, well, you know, we didn't listen to this. We didn't listen to that. Guys, I'm going to be honest with you about this. You know, cutting a player, he doesn't get a buyout, right? You know, cutting a player ends up, uh, you know, depending on his NIL money, I guess, and what's left of his scholarship money. But uh, if, I, if I were managing this team or any team, and I had guys who wouldn't do what I wanted them to do. I wouldn't play them. And if they consistently became a problem for me, I'd cut them. I would. And you got to think, we got to find a way to win a game. Sometimes you got to make a deal with the devil. You know, sometimes you end up compromising your principles because of the fact you're trying to salvage something of the year. Now, this time last year, 
you, know, you had somebody beat a malcontent or a cancer on the team, you go ahead and run them, right? I also think you factor in, too. I mean, you know, Chris Simone and these guys hadn't forgotten how to coach. We have had a difficult spell here where some bad evaluations and some underdeveloped players, especially on the mound, have come home to roost. I mean, I mean, look at the guys that are pitching this year, right? Uh, Colby Holcomb, first-year player. Gerangelo Sanchi, first-year player. Nate Dome, first-year player. Aaron Nixon, first-year player. We couldn't find a Band-Aid big enough to fix the festering wound that we had when it came to poor evaluation and development on the pitching side. And I can't really put my finger on when it went wrong, but you, you missed basic on a couple classes, and now you're having to supplement through the portal. You know, Tyler Davis is a guy that, uh, you know, we expected to throw big innings for us. And this is a guy that got it done at VCU. Now, granted, the, the caliber of hitters you're going to see in the Southeastern Conference are greater than you're going to see in the Atlantic 10, right? But, you know, I, what I ask myself is, did we break Tyler Davis? I mean, did he come in here? I mean, this is a guy, I mean, you go look at his numbers. He was a starter and at one point a closer at VCU. And we just need him to go out there and eat up a few innings for us. And so I asked myself, is it something that we have done philosophically? Is there something within our organization or our pitching philosophy that's got Tyler Davis off his game? Yeah, maybe. Maybe so. Maybe he just hadn't handled it well. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe he's got a girlfriend back in, 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 uh, in Richmond. I don't know. I don't know about that. But I know that when you have guys that have a history of strike throwing and getting outs, and all of a sudden they come here and they can't find the zone, and it's consistently been an issue with the staff, that's a bigger issue. That's not just a player issue. That's a coaching issue. And so my hope is, is that we go out and get the right pitching coach, which will turn a lot of things around. And as we've said on the show many times, pitching is our primary issue. It is not our only issue. Offensively, we're a good team. We're Offensively, we're good enough to get to Omaha. We just haven't been competitive on the mound. And if you've ever played baseball or coached baseball, you understand this. When you don't have guys that can throw strikes, the defense goes to sleep. And they put so much pressure on themselves because, like, hey, this guy can't get anybody out. If I get a ball hit to me, I got to make a play. I got to make a play. I got to make a play. And then all of a sudden it gets in your head a little bit and the game speeds up on you. Good pitching changes everything. And it doesn't have to be great pitching or even elite pitching. It's be good pitching. It's just, you know, when, when you are a hitter, it is difficult to work through the adjustment phase of a ball game when the game goes from 2 nothing to 9 nothing Because everything goes out the window then. People are like, well, you need base runners. Yeah, it's, it's easy to talk. It's easy to say. But when it's two, not then, you can go up there and you can be more selective. You can be more patient. You can let the game come to you. You can work counts and try to get into a bullpen. When you're down nine, nothing, the offensive game plan is, oh, it's it's done. And so you get good pitching, you get good defense, all of a sudden you get more patient hitters. It all works hand in hand. Every bit of it does. And so, yes, the biggest issue we have is pitching. And listen, I hate it for Scott Fox, all I do. The guy's a tremendous guy. You talk to anybody in college baseball about Scott Foxhall, they'll tell you, man, that guy will give you the shirt off his back. Guy will always look you in the eye and shake your hand. You can trust that guy with your wife. Everybody will tell you that. He's a tremendous guy. 
you talk to a lot of our former pitchers, they'll tell you, hey, he found this in me and we fixed this. I mean, and, and Ethan Small, I mean, my goodness, you know, look at what Scott Foxhall did with Ethan Small. Now, Ethan, obviously a very talented guy, but Foxhall was very instrumental in his development. And so for some reason or another, there was a disconnect. And one of the things that I have been told in recent weeks is that uh, Fox was kind of shell-shocked. You know, like you just couldn't believe this was happening again. Like last year you had, you know, the injuries. You're thinking, oh, my gosh. And then this year it's the same situation. All of a sudden we can't find his own. And then Fox started doubting himself a little bit. And that's what happens. All of a sudden, you know, when, when you lose confidence in yourself, other people begin to lose confidence in you. And ultimately he was changed, he was fired. And then we had, you know, we go Arkansas, you know, we, we pitch it pretty well at times. And then the offense abandons us a little bit. And then we have a game to get away from us. And then we go to LSU last weekend. And listen, pitching consistently as a group was not great. Wasn't great. We didn't get great pitching on Sunday, even though we ended up winning the ball game. Tyler Davis, of course, wins the game for us uh, with his best outing in the uniform. We didn't pitch it great last weekend. And so you can't just kind of glaze over the fact and say, well, we won the series, and so we're okay with that. Like last night, guys, we walked 15 hitters and hit another one and won a ball game. If we just go out there and throw strikes, let's say you walk six, man, we win this game going away. It might even been a 10-run rule game. And so all of it works hand in hand. And so I share that with you because I think, you know, I think now everybody's kind of reached the conclusion that Lamontis is going to be back for a year. And that's one of the things, again, uh, even back uh, after we got swept by Vanderbilt, I, I was told that we're not prepared to make a coaching change this year. Now, that encompasses a lot of things. Number one, you got a first-year athletic director, right? I got it. He's still filling out his department, right? Not just about coaching. You know, we're trying to get the uh, brand building staff. We're trying to get some marketing people in place. We're trying to get, you know, we've got football season coming up. We've got to get people here. We've got to get them moved. We've got to get them on a job. We've got to get them to know the lay of the land. We've got to let them know our vision. That's a big part of things. So that's got to happen. In addition to that, you know, you got a guy that comes in and like, okay, we're not expected to make a coaching change in baseball this year. Do you think he had a short list together? Of course he didn't. And that's not to be critical of Zach. Because I think Zach Selman's a good dude. I think Zach Selman's going to do a good job for us. But all of a sudden, you know, it's like, hey, we get up to this bad start. And it's like, okay, we figure some things out. We change rotation a little bit. Start getting some guys healthy. You get Cade Smith back, Aaron Nixon back. And then you win the series against Alabama. Yeah. Then, then, you, then you win Super Bulldog weekend. And you think, hey, we got to go get this game at Auburn. And win this series at Auburn, we played three one-run games, and we had those two epic collapses on Saturday and Sunday. We managed to hang on Saturday, and we blow it on Sunday. And even if we win that Sunday game, you're looking back in hindsight, things changed. I think that that series took a lot out of us emotionally. It really did. Because the next thing you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, we're, we're you got to go to Tennessee, who all of a sudden finds themselves in Arkansas begins to play some outstanding baseball, you know. And uh, But, again, I think we thought we'd kind of right the ship a little bit. We'd kind of turn the corner a little bit. And then all of a sudden we have those bad weekends and everybody's like, hey, the team has quit. Well, one thing I can tell you, teams that quit don't come back from 13 to 4 to win a ball game. They don't. That just, you, don't get, you don't get that kind of, uh, you know, that the kind of grace – it didn't happen. 
we could have easily laid down last Sunday and been 10-run rolled in seven innings, easily. Teams that have quit don't come back from 7-2 to to win on Friday night against A&M's best starter and best three relievers. Now, teams that quit. Teams that quit won't do that. Teams that quit will just quit. We're done. I'm just ready to get out of here and go get in the Cotton District, go see my friends. Once this thing is over, the semester's over, I can uh, go home to be with my family for a little while and head out to the Cape or whatever my summer baseball assignment is. Maybe I can get my pre-draft workouts in. Think about themselves. You watch Imani Larry hit that home run last night? You think that kid's quit? You think the game doesn't matter? They don't care about their teammates. They don't care about their coaches. They don't care about them over us. You're kidding yourself. You're trying to feed false details into a narrative that didn't work out. There's so many people that had sources. It's amazing how sources have dried up over the last week. It's incredible. And now we get defensive about that. Sometimes things don't go the way we want them to go. Yeah, I can tell you this, when uh, you know, when the Joe Moorhead thing happened and uh, we've addressed some of it, you know, in, in earlier shows, you know, I wanted Joe to make it because I wanted Joe, I thought, you know what, Joe is a great guy and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, the Tommy Stevens thing blows up in our face, but, um, you know, we thought we had the guy, right? And we signed Garrett Schrader and uh, Garrett was going to be groomed to be the next guy. We were excited about Garrett Schrader. And then all of a sudden, Garrett begins, you know, Garrett goes and beats Kentucky, right? You know, if, if Garrett starts against Kansas State, we probably win that game too. But I was thinking, you know what, hey, there, there is some semblance of fight here with this group, and no pun intended. But I thought, you know, hey, Joe, Joe's got his guy now. We got Garrett Schrader. You know, we've had some bad things happen here and there. You know, we've had some guys get suspended. But I wanted Joe to make it because I thought, you know what, hey, with Colin Hill and Garrett Schrader and this young nucleus of players working together, I think we're going to be okay. And then we lost some games we shouldn't. And we end up winning the Egg Bowl. You think, okay, we're bowl eligible. As bad as things have gone this year, we've had so many injuries with quarterbacks. Maybe we can turn this thing around. I wanted Joe to make it. I did. I really did. I'll be honest about that. And then we had all the craziness that happened during bowl practices. We're not going to go back and, you know, flesh all that out again. We're not going to rehash that. But it was apparent once kind of news of kind of some things that happened went around, it was apparent we weren't the team that I think we thought we were, at least not for me. And I remember sitting there after losing to Louisville and uh, in the Music City Bowl. And again, we had the lead at halftime. People forget that. <laughs> and we blow it. Absolutely terrible second half. And I remember sitting there in post game, and Joe rattles off this list of all the positives from the year that we finished six and seven and says, I don't want today's result to erase all the positives. And I thought to myself, Joe didn't get it. Joe doesn't get it. And I hate it because I like Joe. I still like Joe. Every so often, I'll hear from Joe or I'll message Joe. He's, you know, he's a big sports memorabilia guy. And I want Joe to do well at Akron. I really do. And I think Joe is a guy that will do a good job up there. 
I don't know what the future holds for him, but I, I hope good things happen for Joe Moorhead and his family. I really do. But it was apparent walking out of that press conference, I was like, this guy doesn't get it. That's where I think things are different with Lamonis. And uh, I had some conversations with Chris, obviously. And uh, I do think Chris gets it. And uh, I rather than kind of – one of the mistakes I think Joe made is Joe kept trying to glaze over and trying to fool you guys. Like, he never really accepted it for what it was. You know, it's like, hey, yes, we got beat today in a game where the quarterback that I had picked to come run this offense imploded. But let's look at all the positives. Uh, at least Chris will sit there and uh, and take the beating sometimes. And uh, more times than not, he's the guy that's out there beating himself. You know, he's like, hey, it's on me. I got to fix this. And I can tell you in my private conversations with Chris, they're much different than maybe what we experienced, you know, certainly from Ben Howland and, uh, and Joe Moorhead. I think Chris gets it. I think that the bottom line, too, is, is that um, – I think the bottom line with Chris is that, you know, Chris is a guy that's always won. And I think this has been difficult on him because he never expected to be in a situation either. And so when you've never had to dig yourself out of the pit, it's tough to do it. It's tough. And so that's what this next year is going to determine. And it is apparent that he is coming back. I mean, barring some just totally unforeseen, you know, something, you know, that uh, we don't see coming. But the thing that I would like to hope is that what we have seen maybe in the last several days, and that's a very small sample size, right, is that uh, we're beginning to see a little more esprit de corps. And uh, some of the guys that uh, I think are expecting to get drafted won't be. And maybe they're back. And you start thinking about that nucleus of players, you know, we'll see how things go. Again, I think there are some guys who would love to sign that maybe won't get the opportunity. So we'll see how things go. Uh, Bulldog Initiative is going to be busy, you know, trying to keep some guys here. That's part of the deal too. But I can't sit here and tell you it's all going to be okay because I don't know that. All I can tell you is that um, I have been disappointed with the season. Uh, and, that, and and forget the business owner part of it, right? Yeah, we own a business, and our business is very much relying on the success of Mississippi State Athletics. But as a guy that uh, bleeds maroon and white, I'm disappointed in the season. And uh, like many of you, I almost feel somewhat betrayed. It's like, you know, we give our loyalty, and we expect so much, and we get out, and we're so supportive, and we do this and do that, and then we don't get what we expect you know, that our program doesn't hold up their end of the deal. And it sucks, man. It does. You know, it's like I, I hate Mississippi State ever being the punchline in anything. But it hurts the most when it's our people making the joke. And it does. And how do you defend it? You can't. You know, you just hope for the best. You know, it's like here we are at the end trying to be the eternal optimist. And it's like, hey, you know, here we are at the end of the year and we still have a chance to make the NCAA tournament you know, the chances are minuscule because, you know, we need so much to happen just to make the field at Hoover, and then you got to go win at Hoover. you got to win the whole thing. So anybody expecting us to make a regional, you know, you need, you need to put a, put a pin in that. It's not going to happen. But we're trying to salvage something of the season and try to have some positive momentum going into the offseason. And then not to mention you, that's something you can do 
you know, with guys in the portal, you can say, listen, hey, we, we had some problems here, and here's what we did down the stretch. We went down to LSU and, and uh, we beat number two LSU two out of three, and then A&M comes in here trying to find a way to make a tournament. And, you know, we, we win that series too. You know, it's a difficult sell. It's a lot more difficult to make that sell when you get destroyed the last couple weekends, which would have been four in a row for us. And so I'm not just sitting here trying to put lipstick on a pig here. I'm just trying to say, you know what, hey, this is the decision that's been made. Let's go try to make the decision right. I don't know if it's the right decision. Now, I've said on this show before that I do believe Lamontis deserves another year. I don't know if that means Lamontis is going to turn this thing back around and we go back to Omaha. I don't know that. I don't know that. I'd like to believe that, but I don't know that. But what I do know is that I believe we are doing the right thing by Chris Lamonis. And my hope is that, in turn, we're doing the right thing for Mississippi State. And that what the needs of Mississippi State are paramount, right? But, yeah, I, I share some of the same concerns you do. It's not like it's, I'm oblivious to what we've seen the last two years on the field. We have got to have strike throwers. We have got to have guys willing to compete. We've got to have guys who can hit good pitching. And there's a reason they call it good pitching in the first place, because good pitching gets outs against good hitters. And so, again, we've got a young nucleus of players here coming back. I think the pieces are there on offense. We've got to go find some pieces on the pitching side of things. And you guys know that. We need Bradley Lawson to get healthy. We need Lowe to keep going. You know, we need, uh, you know, uh, Logan Forsyth. You know, we need Brock Tapper. we got a lot of guys out there that we're going to be depending on to get outs, and uh, we need those guys to make a jump next year. But, uh, you know, whether, you know, the, the bottom line is, and I've heard this expression years ago, you know, we, we may have all gotten here in different chips, but we're in the same boat now. And that's trying to push this thing forward and hope the best for Mississippi State baseball. All right, that's going to do it for today. If you had not done so, go to dogpilethebook.com. You can uh, get most of my sports books there. You can get uh, Dogpile. You can get uh, Alpha Dogs. And, of course, Flim Flam. Blooms of Oleander will be only in print for a little time longer. You can go check that out at Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, BooksandMegan.com, and um, <clears throat> through your local bookstore. If you need Stark Villains gear, and chances are you do, go to StarkVillains.com. They can get you T-shirts, hoodies, get you outfitted for football season. And I always appreciate you guys repping the brand. If you hadn't done so, go to jeanspage.com. Come be a member there. It'll be a fun summer as we get ready for uh, summer camps. And uh, we'll be kind of covering some baseball recruiting news as well. And before you know it, it's going to be football season. I'm really excited about Zach Arnett and this team and this program. And uh, and I'm probably, again, more optimistic than most. I think we're in in store for a, a good year, a really good year. Could be a special year. Could be. I don't know that I'm ready to go that far. But uh, I think and this team's certainly capable of winning several games this year and uh, building on last year's success. And uh, look forward to being a part of that and covering all that. And, uh, you know, we'll get done with baseball season here sooner you know, sooner or later. We may be done uh, tomorrow. And then we'll be getting ready for football season. Football season may begin uh, before the month is out for Mississippi State. That's unfortunate. But uh, we're going to do a great job covering that for you. We can't wait to get out there and, and cover the summer camps. And then, of course, uh, you know, fall camp as we get ready to prepare for a season opener against southeastern Louisiana. Until next time, it's all of our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live. <laughs>